I see you found the Nerdist Podcast number 315. Uh, My voice is a little scratchy at the end of a long day of recording a lot of podcasts and talking loudly because that's what I do. So when it gets like this, I like to do this voice a little bit because it sounds really crusty. This is Nerdist Podcast. A lot of live shows and shit coming up, so go to a computer. Nerdist.com slash calendar. All right, I'm done with this character. I've already annoyed myself. Um, a lot of fun stuff. The YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Nerdist. Uh, we bowled against, it was sort of like a YouTube, uh, it, was, it was a YouTube episode basically. So it was me and Freddie Wong and the guys from Barely Political versus Rooster Teeth. So that's up at uh, youtube.com slash Nerdist right now. Available 24-7. The internet doesn't close. Isn't that nice? It's there for you all the time. Unlike your dad. Oh, got a little real. Got a little real there in the end. Um, Don't snicker, Chloe. You're supporting horrible behavior. (laughs) Um, This episode was brought to you by Audible.com. Visit Audible.com slash nerds for your free audiobook download. You can listen to it whenever and wherever. They don't ban audiobooks anywhere unless you're in a theater and you're not wearing headphones. But you can get it anywhere. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from. Every genre, Audible's got you covered. If you've heard an audiobook before, chances are it came from Audible. Um, For instance, let's say uh, you like Neil Gaiman. You want to hear American Gods. There's like three different versions of American Gods on uh, on audible.com. So right now, go to audible.com slash nerdist, grab a free audiobook download, and jam it in your ears after you... But jam it in on the heels of this podcast that's been jammed in your ears. Uh, there you go. Thank you so much to Audible for supporting this episode of Nerdist Podcast, which is Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, a guy that uh, I never really, I kind of met him like for a half a second one time, along, but, but I always really liked him because uh, he just, you know, like you can tell he has a sense of humor. It doesn't really take himself too seriously. And, and so I always, I always gravitate to the, those types of guys, and, uh, and he did not disappoint. Um, Dave uh, has been doing the podcast rounds. I think he's probably also on Marin too I'm sure that's a good listen he um, is promoting this movie called Sound City that he directed since Sound City was basically this incredibly famous um, recording studio and Nirvana recorded Nevermind there and Fleetwood Mac recorded there and Tom Petty and all these amazing people they, there was a very special audio board there like a mixing board that um that no one else really had and it created a very specific sound and so just the story is this really beautifully lovely narrative of all the ups and downs that the studio had and all the bands and the i mean it it if you're a music fan this movie will make you uh shit your pants in a good way uh and then if you're not a music fan i think you'll enjoy it just the story of it's fantastic and dave did a great job directing and um we had a good time i think one of my favorite one of my favorite parts of this was watching First of all, uh, we finish. Dave's going to go into rehearsal because they're going, you know, they're doing a little tour around the album. They recorded a bunch of songs for Sound City. And then uh, Pat Smear runs in really fast just to grab a coffee. He's like, oh, hey, guys. And then Jonah just, like, froze in his tracks. And uh, it's kind of fun to see Jonah flustered. I, I don't get to see it that often, but uh, it's really, uh, it was it was entertaining for me. I don't know if Matt saw I think he was over in the corner uh, looking at girls' guitars, complaining that there weren't any left-handed ones. But uh, anyway, here you go, the Nerds Podcast number 315 with Dave Grohl. Sound City, by the way, is available uh, February 1st. If you go to soundcitymovie.com, it'll give you all the details that you need. You can download it and see it in certain places. Official Sundance selection. Nice job. Okay. Here's the podcast.
Now entering Nerdist.com. Okay, well now it has to be good to pay for everything. I think warehouse is the step up from basement. Like, yeah, like you go basement to warehouse. Like this is. Well, and then it became the place where all of us would just store the shit that our wives wouldn't let us keep in the house. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. So and now I'm about to get another storage space for all the shit that I'm not allowed to keep here. And then, but is it, it is it stuff that you feel like you will ever touch again, or you just need to know I'm that you have like it? Like a pack ratty dude. Like I don't want to get rid of my t-shirts from. Celebrity hoarders, come on. Oh, let's do it. Right. Where should I sit? You can sit here. We'll figure it out. We'll put those guys over there. Uh, you be over, over there. This is great because in the in the in Sound City, I I, ca- I caught a glimpse of this painting a couple Did you times. See what it was? I couldn't exactly see what it was. I was like, well, it looks Good. like Dave. <laughs> no, I saw it right away. <laughs> Are you rocking the fucking ludicrous headphones right now? I am. Word. Ah, <laughs> call me. I thought we were a Beats by Drake kind of podcast. No, no. no See, we, I go use... against, we go against the fucking... If you caught my review on Attack of the Show... Everyone wears Beats. Yeah. Nobody right. wears Soul. I'm going to start wearing Marley's. That's going to be my thing. I have Does Rizzo's. he have one? Marley Company made a whole bunch of uh, headphones. Really? Because like you know what? Blood. Whenever I was stoned, it just sounded like I had fucking teacups over my yes. ears. Like <laughs> exactly. The blood flow to my eardrums would immediately... They're good headphones for a podcast because you can hear every insecurity and piece of apathy that comes out of... <laughs> dry mouth is the worst. Uh, yeah. Remember that Cars song where he goes, you kept it going. Yes. <laughs> and you can like, hear the spit in his teeth. It's like, ooh. A little bit. too compressed. Go. <laughs> go but you can hear him go. Uh, in the movie, we interviewed Rupert Neve, who was the man, the, gen- the that giant board over there. The engineering yeah. pioneer who uh, who designed the the Neve console that the movie is about. And um, I mean, he's like eighty eight, I think. And uh, the man can rock a bolo tie. Dude, he yeah. looked so. Well, he lives in Texas now. <laughs> really, English genius lives in Texas. That's not. Um, but we had to get creative with the mixing because he had a lot of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a little mouthy, a little, little bit. Um, uh, that was yeah. a funny scene too, because uh, I was like, I was like trying to get what he was talking about, but then at your reaction shot, I was like, okay, <laughs> it's like uh, well, I'm when, not that dumb. When I found out that we were gonna actually get an interview with Rupert Neve, I thought, okay, here's what we have to do. We have to, at some point, make it so technical that nobody will understand what they're saying and then subtitle it. <laughs> and, he, and he's fascinating, too, because his mouth is moving, but the upper part of his face looks like it passed away a while ago. He's all brain, dude. Uh-huh. No, no. But he, but he just, like, he, there was no movement above the nose, and it was just like, like all this. Like those old Conan bits where it's just the mouth moving? It was almost like the mouth, or just, or like or like you went into, like, like you uh, stumbled across some weird satellite in space, and then this, uh, this android came to life and just started telling you all the time. Technical specs of the yeah. ship. Like with my dad, when my father tells stories, he is he my father was a public speaker. He was a speech writer and he wrote speeches for people in DC and was a, a Capitol Hill political dude and would campaign manage politicians and stuff. So he's brilliant. He's a brilliant writer. He's a really great writer. He's a brilliant dude. But he talks so fucking slowly <laughs> that he, when he tells a story, it's like it's just like it's like anesthesia, you know. <laughs> you just kind of like, oh, where, yeah, where, where am I? Sleep. Can you tell <laughs> me a story? <laughs> yeah. How and was he cool with the fact that his son got into the goddamn rock music? 
No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I did it. What are you talking about? Uh, no, he, my dad was a, uh, a, is a classically trained flautist. So when he was young, he um, was sort of like a child prodigy, brilliant musician, his perfect pitch, and studied to be in an orchestra his entire life. And I think he wanted to um he wanted to be a professional musician but the type of music he played it made it really difficult and you had to be like the best in the world to be you know to put food on the table sure. from playing the flute <laughs> you know? so there's only so um, many productions of peter and the wolf yeah. only so, many. so when nirvana broke big was he like you know son he was like jethro tall <laughs> I, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think you could use have you heard aqualong <laughs> um do you know ian anderson personally but so he you know when i was a kid he um I lo- I didn't take lessons to play music, so he he was he's more of the school of you have to like st- he stopped playing the flute because he couldn't practice six hours a day. Oh, oh gotcha. and so I'm like the opposite of that. I'm like, eh, give me a drum set, you know. <laughs> so, um, but then once things really started happening, I think he was really proud that uh, you know that I could a- accomplish something other than drywalling. <laughs> <laughs> what you have to do is take two flutes and play drums with flutes yeah. and then just Ooh, never break eye contact with them. Oh, no. What do you think of these <laughs> drums now? Yeah. We all got a chance to see the documentary early, and it's fu- you texted me first, yeah. and you're like, it's fucking great. And, uh, and he actually texted me first. Oh. Mm. I actually... Awkward <laughs> shit. No, they're better friends. Oh, good. It's it's okay. Well, you're always busy. I'm emotionally unavailable. Uh, but anywho, uh, <laughs> no, 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 we're gonna work this out right now. Good. Um, but uh, but I, I watched it, I watched it last night, and it is fucking phenomenal. Like the you could have done you could have just done the documentary on Fleetwood Mac. Oh, I know. And yeah, that was but crazy. but to have the but but or Tom Petty or, or, or Tom Petty or Rick Springfield <laughs> or Rick Springfield's dog. Yeah. yeah. Or you or McCartney. Like it it, it really was. Um, it was really well done, and okay. and and uh, you, you directed the shit out of it. Like it was so, yeah, it just it's... looked good. Okay, so I got really lucky because I have no fucking idea what I'm doing at all, right? <laughs> but the people that I that I had come along with me for the project, it started with my one friend Jim Rota, who I've known for ten years or more. He's a musician. He plays in a band called Fireball Ministry, but he also uh, is an editor and he works in film. He's worked on films like Narnia and mm-hmm. things like that. And he he's in that world. I am so not in that world. This is like right here at our studio. This is my entire world. <laughs> my house is five miles away. I drive my van here. We play with friends, and that's basically it. So. When I heard that Sound City was closing, I mean, basically, Nirvana went there 20 years ago in 1991 to record the album Nevermind. We got a record deal, and they said, why don't you come down here to record, I think, so that they could keep their eye on us and not sure. just send us you know, a bunch of money and get the white album in return or whatever. So um, we kind of thought, uh, so we came down here, and we're like, wow, we're going to this fancy Hollywood studio, and we got to Sound City, and it was a fucking shithole. <laughs> But it had this console, which is um, which is a custom, handmade, custom uh, recording console uh, built in 1973 that a lot of people consider to be the best one in the world because it's it had never moved, it had never been really modified, and it's just a great board. Um, so we came down here to record the record, and we only booked 16 days, and nobody really knew what was going to happen. We thought it was a good record, but we didn't think it was going to blow up the way it did 
And once it did blow up, um, Sound City's business kind of blew up again. They were really kind of doing well in the 70s and the early 80s. But then technology, digital technology came around in the in the early mid 80s and changed the way people make records. So um, so when Nirvana became popular, this business was booming again. And I was always friends with those people. So about a year and a half ago, I heard they were closing and it was sad because it was like a family run studio and the people that recorded there, not everybody made records there. It was kind of like this real insider type of place. And all of us were so bummed that Sound City was closing. We couldn't fucking believe it. Sound City, like this, it's like a cathedral, you know, it's like a museum. It's so, it's a, a really important part of rock and roll history, that place. But nobody ever really knew about it. And it almost seemed like nobody fucking cared. So I bought the board and I thought, well, I have to tell the story of this awesome studio because it's not like some place where you walk in and there's a receptionist and you sit in the waiting room and then, you know, you go into this pristine control room and record on brand new shit it's like it was a fucking dump it was like going <laughs> to you know it's like mount vernon or monticello right. or to me at least so um so i just wanted to tell the story of the board and i thought that my friend uh, jim and i would just make a short film and put it online not make a big movie and then i reached out to all of these different musicians and after 40 people said yeah i'll be in your movie i thought wow this is this is like a movie. And what if I asked them to come back and make a new record with me? I could record with Rick Springfield. Could you fucking imagine? <laughs> I can imagine it because I saw it. I, well, that's yeah. the thing. Is so. Um, that's so. It so was, it was. When, I started, mean, when Rick Springfield starts playing the guitar, you're like, "That's a fucking Springfield lick." Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> and I yeah. swear to God, like, I mean, that's the thing is that um, the movie's not so much about technology. It's mostly about the human element. I mean, you could be, you could make it sound like a human being. Uh, recorded in Pro Tools, you just have to hit record. Right. It's just respecting and appreciating that human element, which is imperfect. You know, I don't think that people should should strive to be perfect musicians. My favorite drummers are fucking insane. Keith Moon and Bonham and Copeland. Li listen to like listen to live recordings of those people. They're this close to train wrecking the entire <laughs> fucking time. But that's what's so exciting about Because you're always you know? on the edge. You're like, he's gonna lose it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's why like, you get the chills when you hear it. Like, oh my God, did you see what he just did? Well, He'd like, never done that before and he didn't know if he could really do it, but he tried and it was awesome. Well, it's, it's, it's like a, tra I feel like it's sort of like a trapeze act where, did I just say trapeze? Yeah, yeah. you sure It's did. like a trapeze act. Oh, oct. Uh, would you? <laughs> 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 but whereas it's like, you, 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 you know, there, there's that, element that you can't program to a robot which is that drummer is probably fucked up how is he remembering all that right. stuff at any moment he might just stand up and fall into the drum kit but then but then As he did does drummers do but then he doesn't yeah. at yeah. some point. well i mean that was you know so then uh the the idea sort of blossomed into being a movie and and rather than going to like a big movie studio and saying hey pitching an idea i have sure. an idea for a movie it was like, well, fuck it. Why don't, like, Jim, me and you get a couple of your friends, and they know people who have cameras, and then we'll do it all down here, and I'll call people, and I sent out 150 fucking emails, and just started doing it, and paying for it, but, like, doing it, you know? <laughs> but, and it was great, because, honestly, the total um, amount of people involved in our crew was maybe, like, 12 people, 
And they, we never had anyone telling us what to do. I was the fucking boss, you know? That's terrifying. You like doing that? I love doing that when it's something like this, because it's like, hey, Kenny, make sure you get a shot of Trent Reznor as he's doing that thing with the computer. Or fucking, dude, make sure that um, you, I, want a, I, want a, I want a shot that's uh, Paul from, like, Paul next to Pat and Chris. Make sure you get that shot, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it was awesome. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> it was fucking great. But the, the movie really had, like... It, it had a really nice arc to it. It made sense. You know, you go through the history of Sound City and then the board, and then you sort of follow the board a little bit through a few bands, yeah. and then you get them to talk about it, and then it's like present day and future. It was really nice. I, I did wonder how, I, I'm so curious, you don't have to tell me this, how much did you pay for the board? I don't want to tell you how much you I can't paid say. for it, but I got to say, it was not what I thought I was going to have to pay for it because... This thing should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Like, so much magic has happened on this console. It's crazy. George Harrison and Barry White and, and, so and Tom glow, Petty. So much and, glow on that. Dude, let me tell you. When we got this thing, the first thing we had to do was take a toothbrush to the insides. <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of cocaine and fried chicken. There was a bunch of tits yeah. and drugs in the, in the <laughs> yeah. pods. I don't know. Exactly. But, I mean, you know, that to it's me. A, it's a dead groupie inside the <laughs> board. It's like the skeleton of a girl who disappeared. <laughs> Some roadie from 100 years ago. Oh! Ah! He's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys. (laughs) But it was, you know, it was it was easy to do because um, we're sitting around with musicians and talking about music. And when you talk to musicians about about the craft or about uh, the inspiration or the passion and and just jamming, it's easy to talk about. I mean, it's what we do all day long anyway. Favorite exchange in that entire movie is when you say. I wish it was always this oh, yeah. easy. And Paul McCartney just goes, it is. <laughs> like, of course it and is, Paul laughs, McCartney. Like, yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what Why are you trying? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is. One guy that can come into your studio and be like, all right, whatever you say. Of that course. Was, one of my favorite lines was uh, when uh, Butch Vigger, like he was like, yeah, Butch, tell Paul McCartney what <laughs> Paul to do. Paul McCartney says, he goes, all right, we'll just try it and tell us what you think. Like, yeah, Butch, just tell Paul McCartney what to do. Oh, we cracked up that one. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is uh, one another great thing about the movie is that you see these legends in this vulnerable um, place. So you've got Stevie Nicks who's singing and she's tracking a song, but she's like making mistakes and telling you to rewind and, and she's taking direction from other people. You can't really imagine yeah. someone like Paul McCartney saying, hey, what do you think? Yeah. He's fucking Paul McCartney. It's like, don't I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> you what do, do you, what you do. What do you think? I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only not only that, but then you know, I'm sure the the child part of your soul, who if you, you're looking and going, that's fucking Paul McCartney. Uh, yeah. It's like you just. I think maybe Pat Pat was talking about it, or it's like he was so stressed out about yeah. it. And then when they start playing, and they're like, oh, okay. All right, we're just playing. It's okay, and you kind of get to that muscle memory, and you go, "Okay, okay, it's all okay. We're gonna, we're not gonna murder Paul McCartney." By the way, I'd like to find the orphan he murdered so he could stay the same from 1987 on, because he looks exactly the same. He stopped aging, and he plays probably better than he ever has. Amazing. He's unbelievable. I mean, he just like you said, if it were just a movie about Paul. For those two hours we had in here recording that song, the entire two hours on film, it would make the next generation of children want to fucking play. But I gotta say too, it was the (laughs) most. I think kind of getting him out of the element that he's used to being in. Yeah, it was the 
I don't know what other term to use, so I apologize at how dumb this is going to sound. Oh, old time phone. Hello, oh, Seven three four nine. God, mom. Two down. Five to Hold go. Hold on. Hey, Pat, I'm doing an interview right now. I didn't hear what you said because I just put it up to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Flat tire. Okay, we'll wait for you. Bye. Awesome. I like the idea that a long time ago someone was watching the germs and would see Pat play and go, one day that guy's going to play with Paul McCartney. <laughs> the, I remember after we did the the Paul McCartney thing at the um, at that Hurricane Sandy benefit, mm. it was on YouTube, and we're like, wow, let's go look and see what people say. No, don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> we did it. And the, one of the best things was someone... Someone wrote, the fact that a germ is playing with a beetle is blowing my <laughs> fucking mind right now. <laughs> and the fact that it's, this is on Darby's. But, the, I mean, one of, the, one of the great things about someone like Paul is that, you know, his generation of musicians knows what it's like to play in a garage. And sure, knows yeah. what it's like to play in with people uh, in a backyard or um, in a crappy little club and... You know, that's I think it's really important for for uh, kids to understand that it's OK to get in your garage and sound like shit. You know, like I'm a one of the things I'm afraid will happen is that someone like my daughter who loves the Beatles and loves singing and has a beautiful voice will watch a TV show where you have to stand in line with 800 other people <laughs> And then walk up to a judge and sing a song and have them say, no, you're not good enough. Right. Can you fucking imagine what that does yeah. to the collective psyche of the next generation? It does exactly yeah. what it did it's to Marty McFly when Huey Lewis said, you're just too darn loud. Too darn loud. See what I mean? Tell you, it, it, it does. I think, I think it is a good weeding process for people who should, you know what I mean? Like, because if you really have it in you, then it doesn't fucking matter what someone says. It definitely says. gives you something to be against. <laughs> 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 but I mean, you know, and but that's the thing is that... Um, when you look at Paul, the reason why Paul is fearless in playing a sig fiddle, which is a guitar made I out know, of a cigar box, yeah. and standing next to the bass. He's, like, got, he's got the Hoffner bass. Right next to him. And he's got him. his 1960 Les Paul, which there's only four of those that are sunburst right left-handed. Right next to him. And he doesn't touch it. And, and he, he picks and up a fucking cigar like, box fuck it, I'm going to jam the cigar box <laughs> thing. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Paul McCartney sounded the rockinest that I've heard oh. him sound, and like even uh, just, the guy who made Helter Skelter, he can fucking. But, rock but it's been a long time. Like I, I feel like the last several things that he's put out have been a little. Have you listened to the Fireman records? No, I have. Okay. Those are you gotta great. Hear them. Yeah, okay. Those are rocking, and yep. they're great. All right. I mean, that's the thing is, like I said, I think because first of all, because he's great and he aspired to be great when he was young. He, he wanted to learn to be a great musician. He became a great bass player. He's a great guitar player. He's a great pianist. He's a great singer. He, you, he worked at that. He's naturally gifted, obviously. Right. But he, I'm, I think he really worked to be great. But he also understood that the Beatles were for people. And you put them in the room together, and just being people, they sounded like the Beatles. The fucking Beatles. Like, <laughs> those were just people. They weren't like, you didn't need any it's, of this yeah, to yeah. make it sound like the Beatles. That's the way it was. And so he appreciates that. And that has to do with, like, imperfections and bad habits and the 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 things that you do wrong. That's what makes you sound like you. Well, that's what Frank – was it Frank Black who said that? Yeah. Where he said, you know – We're talking and, about feel. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. – I, I, I think it's probably – it'll be comforting to young musicians to see – 
guys at your level like oh that's how they do it too where you guys are just start playing a riff together and everyone exactly. kind of jumps in and yeah, then the, someone goes oh, oh that 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 yeah, that exactly. part where the the trent reznor josh homie uh knew yeah, yeah that was great because it was just like you were like just kind of jamming on a riff, trying to figure right. it out, and that's how it happens. Mm -hmm. you yeah, know, you don't need seven producers and fourteen songwriters. Like, go okay. I don't know what the biggest, most popular pop album is right now. Open up the CD booklet. Do they have those anymore? No. <laughs> <laughs> Open, Open up, up your, your PDF, PDF. PDF. Yeah. <laughs> and look at the credits on Get the how many album. people are involved with each song. It's insane. You've got like four programmers you've got seven different songwriters you've got three different producers there's a paragraph of people that have put this song together when honestly all you fucking need is a room with some instruments and yeah. a couple people well, i think people are just they're not people you know there's a thing in in our culture now where i guess it's sort of like what you said getting in front of the judge we're teaching people to be afraid to fail sure. and you have to be okay with you have to be okay mm -hmm. with failing when i took my daughter ice skating a few weeks ago she was kind of afraid to go around the rink by herself because she she didn't want to fall yeah because she'd be embarrassed or it would hurt i'm like boo you got to learn how to fall first of all because it's fun yeah yeah but also because it's just going to happen yeah you can't become a figure skater today you know well when you're doing like if you're doing a live stand-up show or if you're doing live television and someone fucks something up and then you can riff on it and it's like it usually ends up being the best part of the show and yeah. people sure. are like i'm so sorry you're like no 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 no, that was the best like people are going to remember that more than the jokes that i've told a hundred mm -hmm. times or like okay so violet is also learning to play the violin she's in first grade and she's like oh daddy daddy here come listen to the I twinkle twinkle little star and she like gets out her violin and she rosins up the bow and she puts it on her shoulder. She opens up the page to where uh -huh. the music is. And it sounds like someone is fucking strangling a duck <laughs> on a chalkboard, you know? And she was so proud that she did it. And to her, it was good enough, you know? And it's like, that made me so happy that she's like, she's like, look, see what I can do? Isn't that cool? <laughs> Fuck yeah, it's amazing. You know? Do you do you because I you know if when you're a young performer, sometimes you maybe you get nervous like oh I don't want people to think I suck so you 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 kind of are afraid to take risks. But then sure. when you become successful. Are you afraid to take risks because you're like fuck? What if people don't think I'm great anymore if I fuck this thing up? Uh, yeah, both sort of. I mean, um, the last thing in the world you want to do is is fucking ruin all the years of hard work that you've tried so hard to make great um but at the same time it's like you can't you know the, i'll tell you how to have make a bad record make a record that you don't want to make or if you want to have a shitty show walk out on stage if you don't want to be there yeah like those yeah. those are the things that if you do want to be there and you do want to you do want to make a great record like those things can happen it, it all has to do with you and the environment or whatever but um as long as you have enthusiasm for what you're doing, I think you can still do great things. I mean, there's no question. You can always write a shitty song, and they'll always make their way onto your records. But, um, but it's the if you know that the energy of a performer or a musician has a lot to do with why people connect with them. I think you know, and there's different kinds of energy. There's the energy where someone just stands there, or there's the energy where someone's diving on your head. But I mean. It has to. It just has to be for real. If you're fucking faking it, then there's just no way you're gonna get what you want to get. Yeah, I think. I heard you once. Uh, I, I I have I I have some bootleg recording from the Napster days, <laughs> of, the days. Of, of you on the Stern show 
when I think he, I think it's the first time he gets you to play an acoustic version of Everlong. Oh yeah, and it's a fucking great segment. I mean, of course, there's a lot of like, who'd you bang? Did you bang Cheryl Crow? Like, there's a bunch of that. Um, but then he finally get, he gets you to, he says, do do Everlong. And you're like, we've never done it this way before, yeah. and it's a fucking, it's amazing. That's um, the song I got into a car accident in. You okay. really? Yeah, on the 110 freeway, leaving San Pedro. I got, that's the accident I talked Oh, that was the horrible guys. accident you got yeah, in. Yeah, like, at the, like uh, at, when it's all over, that song is still on. I was like, I should probably turn this off. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome. But yeah. in that, in that interview, uh, now, now Jonah cries every time he <laughs> But in that interview, he's like, he asks you if your voice ever goes out, and you're like, no, I just never lose my voice. Is that true? Is that still true? Kind of. Now that I'm old and crusty, sometimes it does. But I don't know. I think that... Um, you, you know, some people like Michael Phelps, right? His, <laughs> his body voice. is designed in a way good. that yeah, he sounds great. His <laughs> body is designed in a way that he can just fucking do what he does all the time. Like his arms are too long. And he yeah. has an extra set. No, of he's lungs a genetic freak. The fuck he's, it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. He has paddle hands. So I don't know what it is about my vocal cords, but they can take a lick and and keep on ticking. <laughs> like and, you know, I do everything you're not supposed to do. I don't warm up. I drink tons of whiskey. I quit smoking though. The smoking oh, that's good. was fucking it up. But um yeah, it can go. It, I I I lose it every once in a while, but the cigarettes it's funny Nat, Nat King Cole always said, "Well, the cigarettes give his voice." Like that's back when people yeah. thought there was a benefit to smoking. Smoking was that, good for you. Smoking was healthy. Yeah, when doctors were prescribing cool. you uh yeah. They they were they were giving you prescription cigarettes. Like it literally he said that uh it gave his voice a certain timber yeah it but does. then you listen it's so crazy to listen to like 60s Joni mitchell and then like 90s Joni mitchell <laughs> yeah. where it goes from like la 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 to i'm singing yeah. a song like it really does fucking it's one of the best Joni mitchell impressions i've ever heard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. i think if i hadn't said her name people would be like well that's Joni oh, mitchell yeah. i, I had quit smoking once and we were making a record and um and i like i just didn't think I sounded like myself and I couldn't control my voice and I kind of convinced myself like oh I sh- well I have to start smoking <laughs> I mean I'm making a record I gotta sound like oh, me oh your brain right? was looking <laughs> for one reason yeah. yeah did it work yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry kids don't smoke <laughs> please don't smoke bad for you don't start and then you won't have to go back to it yeah there you go later is it? Oh, that's the same was with the um, the woman who do, the woman who does the voice of uh, who Reagan's voice from The Exorcist, who oh, does wow. the, the demon voice. Is that yeah. basically he? Um, but I think Blatty he convinced her to start smoking again so she could get like she had quit smoking cool. and he got her smoking again so she could get that oh, voice. Yeah, or Lemmy. Lemmy from Motorhead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine if Does anyone have to say Lemmy from Motorhead anymore? Well, I, think I don't know. Like, Sometimes no. Tom <laughs> Waits. What if Tom Waits stopped smoking? They're nerds. They're yeah. fucking nerds in this Lemmy's world. Mole. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Lemmy's mole. Lemmy's mole stops smoking. Lemmy yeah. from Motorhead. I remember once he and I are buddies. He's a great dude. He's the nicest, sweetest man in the world, and he's the real fucking deal. He is that guy. He's Lemmy. And, uh, and so he texted me once, and I didn't have his number programmed into my my new phone and it came in like hey dave could you put blah 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 on the list and i said who's this and he said lemmy and i texted back lemmy who (laughs) (laughs) i think it would have been funny if you said it's lemmy from motorhead like he's even also from motorhead (laughs) but yeah i mean could you imagine if that guy changed his voice no 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 Please don't. I mean, listen, look, I'm not saying kids should go smoke cigarettes and do drugs. Right. A lot of the 
a lot of the Beatles stuff, there probably was some drugs involved in Prob- a lot of the perhaps. in some of the music that <laughs> we enjoyed. I'm not saying that you should do that. You hey, should. George Martin was always clean. But isn't yeah, it yeah. great that we have it? We have it. I got to be honest though. I stopped doing drugs when I was about 20. Yeah. And I didn't really have like a fantastic drug career. I did, I, did, I wasn't into coke and I wasn't into heroin or any of that speed or any of that shit. I like smoked weed and I you know took some hallucinogenics and sure. stuff like that but by the time i was 20 i was just like oh i can't my brain i'm just losing it like I, it's just too much i don't want to be insane and i have to be honest i don't think that i would have accomplished fucking a quarter of the things that i've accomplished had i continued doing it yeah no yeah. question well, like if i point. if i was still waking up like if i woke up today and did six bong hits like i used to when i was 18 <laughs> we wouldn't be doing this fucking interview right now. No, this you know board I mean? this board would be in the garbage <laughs> no, can that board would be no. in a bowl <laughs> we'd be <laughs> we'd be doing it at a scream show downtown yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that you, in the you parking know, lot of a fucking carl's jr <laughs> the fucked up part about it is because in your brain you're always the you all you're always the same age in your brain Yes, you're always the same. You're always you in Timeless, your brain. A classic. And so, <laughs> so you know, you do all this horrible shit to yourself when you're young, and then it's oh, it's fun. We're in our twenties. Then you get in your thirties. It's like okay. And then people in their forties are like fuck. And then after that, it's just lost cause. Yeah, like, that guy's gone. You know when hangovers start to include guilt, like, <laughs> that's such a drag, it's like a shame over. You know where you're just like, you wake up and you feel like crap, which was expected. But mm-hmm. then you feel yeah. like real shit because you're too old to be such a. If you have louse. to plan your hangovers, and like, well, if I do it on Friday, then by Tuesday I should be up and running again. <laughs> yeah. you should really stop. Yeah, you yeah. Gotta stop. Like at that point, it's. I was at a party once, and this guy, I know he's like about 40 years old and he just like got too drunk all of a sudden he's just like oh and he threw up he's like oh fuck I'm fucking 40 it's <laughs> <laughs> a lonely feeling yeah. dude my 40th birthday I had at Medieval Times yes with like 200 of my friends we had a whole section Blue Night one and the whole deal our dude and so but <laughs> at la- at closing time I was in the men's bathroom drunk as fuck smoking a joint <laughs> At medieval times, <laughs> at forty years old, and I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany. No, no, no. Maybe no. the next morning. There wait could a minute, be a little minute, pride minute, at that. Moment, I'm going to clear your conscience right now. If you were hammered in the bathroom, medieval times, smoking a joint, and it was just a Tuesday, that's when you worry. It's okay yeah, guess, for your yeah, birthday. birthday. Yeah. I think my sword and shield is right over there. <laughs> oh, did you bring it? <laughs> yeah. See him? Oh, nice. Oh, you did. I did. That's where I got Blue my sword night. And yeah, oh, Red Knight's going nice. down, dude. Yeah, down, down, down. What is uh? I, I've always, I mean, I, you know, I we, I said before, like we briefly met on Chelsea's show, like we were sort of passing in the hallways. Yeah. Um, but I, I always sense from you, like, oh, Dave Grohl, like he's a comedy guy, like he's a comedy nerd, because just all the video, I don't know, there's just something about the tone of everything you do that sort of feels like you're coming from a little bit of a comedy nerd place. Huh? Do you not feel that? <laughs> do you not? Well, you, I mean. Yeah, you know, you know, they say all the comedians want to be rock stars and all the rock stars want to be comedians. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's absolutely true. Some of the funniest people I've ever met. Have you ever hung out with Steven Tyler for five fucking minutes? No. Dude, that is some Borscht Belt fucking <laughs> shit. He is the funniest, Steven Tyler's funniest pun book. dude you've ever met in your entire fucking life. Josh Homme, have you ever hung out with Josh? He's a, no. He, but he's a comedy nerd, too. He's a comedy nerd, yeah. too. I mean, I don't go to clubs and see comedians. And but when you meet someone really funny, uh, and most musicians are, because I mean, how ridiculous is that world to right. live in? You yeah. know, it's just a bunch of fucking 
musicians getting drunk and playing shows all the time. It's great. It's hilarious. So I think we sort of decided early on not to take this whole thing too seriously, you know, like in like making videos where we dress up like chicks or we dress up like chicks like in every video. <laughs> well, right chicks, now. Or chicks, but you know, hands. the reason why I always loved doing that is because I was a huge fan of Kids in the Hall. Yes. And so here you have a cast of five or six dudes. There's no women. So if there if there was a sketch where uh, there was a woman involved, one of them would dress up like women. And, but play it so straight that it was immediately fucking hilariously funny, you know? Yeah. It's so Canadian, too. It's just yeah. fucking <laughs> instantly funny because they're from Canada. But, I mean, yeah, I think that when it comes to everything else involved, I think it's hilarious what we do. When it comes to writing music and making albums and making songs, like, you know, that comes from another place. That comes, that's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other place where you actually i'm writing things that are really important to me and and that you know are sometimes really serious or or meaningful but when it comes to like playing a rock show i would much rather be david lee roth than tom york you know what i mean because like, to me it's like because that's, that's a fucking party to I me think, you know what i mean yeah. well look first of all i feel like tom york should cover everything from crazy from the heat uh, <laughs> or jump. I would love to hear Radiohead cover jump. Yeah. And then watch Tom York. But it would go, be about suicide. I might as well. See, the, nice. the, the direction I was going to go was trying to picture Tom York doing the high kicks on stage, oh, yeah. but I like yours <laughs> yeah. so much better. But yeah, I mean, it's we all, especially in the Foo Fighters, we all come from a place where, like, um, we love early Van Halen just as much as we love. Uh, Joy Division, sure. you know, and so it's you. Know, music is music is like that. That it it's. I don't believe in guilty pleasure. First of all, if you like fucking Britney Spears' Toxic song, then crank that shit. Well, you know what I mean? And that's it's a good fucking song. Yeah, it's good. That's yeah. why I loved. That's why I loved the. You know, because I think, especially with someone like Rick Springfield, there's certainly an ironic appreciation of Rick Springfield because but there he was an be. Yeah, and and and. You make it okay because you are genuinely excited. You're like, I get to play with Rick. Well, here's the thing: is that I have issues with irony. I don't know who first wouldn't be excited about. Like, that. I know sure. that's the thing. Sure. Is that, well, that's okay. Don't get me started. Go ahead. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing: is that I think that um, that irony and guilt um, are really dangerous to music because. What it does is it it creates like boundaries or restrictions, and it makes it so that you're you're questioning the um, whether something's like real or legitimate all the time, right. rather than just being for fucking real. Why not be for fucking real? Yeah, you know. Right. So, um, my generation of musicians obviously just dove head first into irony and guilt, and like, well, you can't do that because that's not fucking. I'm punk rock, and you're not, and that's yeah. not fucking cool. And yo, oh, Aerosmith, yeah, that Gene's got a gun. That's cool, yeah. You know, that's the worst side effect of punk. I, I swear to God, and you're right, yeah. because you know, I grew up in the Washington D.C. area, and so the bands that I first started playing in were hardcore punk rock bands in the early '80s, and so I got to see all of these legendary hardcore American punk rock bands in D.C. Spent a lot of time in the 9:30 Club. Absolutely, yeah. and um, so you know, so that was like. That whole scene was all about like integrity and being for real, especially Washington D.C. Kind of more than a lot of other cities. Like um, Discord Records, which is a D.C. 
based uh, independent record label run by Ian Mackay run by Ian Mackay from Fugazi and the Evens he's um he was a huge inspiration hero of mine when I was a kid because he just fucking did everything for real you know what the show's five bucks and it's only gonna be five bucks your fucking album is three dollars and fifty cents postpaid if you have to pay any more than that you're getting fucking ripped off and he just fucking walked it like he talked it just like Neil Young or just like fucking Lemmy or all of these really inspirational dudes to me because you meet them and you're like, oh yeah, they're totally for fucking real. So when I would go see bands where I wasn't sure if it was real or not, I would get kind of confused. Like, you know, and I think it's a horrible side effect of the punk rock thing that people all of a sudden thought, well, I'm not supposed to like this. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Like, I mean, you're not supposed to like, I remember playing Primus at a fucking like, punk rock party in olympia and i almost got lynched it was like <laughs> because it's not fucking cool and it was like well, Judge, you gotta go well, kind of people would make fun of you for the music that you listen to and that's what all those fucking punk rockers hated yeah they all got made fun of because when i was a kid listening to fucking whatever dead kennedys or black flag or any of that shit i grew up in suburban virginia i would have gotten my ass kicked every fucking day for that music and then all of a sudden, like, you've got the same thing coming from the other side. Well, you're not allowed to listen to this either. It's the same yeah. fucking deal. It drove me crazy. So um, so I'm really, I feel, I feel terrible for anyone that's affected by that kind of irony or guilt. Because it should not be that way. <laughs> it really shouldn't. See? Because, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, and especially, like, this uh, whole new generation of kids that, like, they just don't know what's a, my daughter, who's six, uh-huh. she likes everything. Yeah, because she doesn't know. That's what six-year-olds do. Exactly, because they're not fucking jaded yet. Exactly. What's wrong with that? It's fucking great. She'll sit there and listen to the entire Beatles vinyl box set by herself, and then she'll go fucking listen to an iCarly record. Because they're fearless. The six-year-olds are fearless. When you get older, you learn. Plus, they enjoy melody. They fucking enjoy. Yeah, like like, real good shit. Yeah, (laughs) but you shouldn't feel guilty for something you like. No, exactly. I I was. uh, I I did. I was. I did a press event over the weekend, and so. Someone drove me to the event. Thanks, mom. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Aww. mom. But I was in the back of the car, and uh, uh, this is before I saw the documentary. But I have Rick Springfield on my iPhone, and, and "Affair of the Heart" came on, yeah. which I fucking love. Dude, you got and to. I and I cranked it, and it was like vibrating in my headphones. And there was a minute where I got a little self conscious because I looked up, and the driver, like our eyes just met for a second, like he could hear it bleeding through, and I felt. He liked it too, dude. Yeah, <laughs> he liked it too. He's fucking. He didn't want to admit it, but if he you liked take it too. If you were taking your headphones out, you'd realize he was playing it in the car. Oh, that's yeah. good. <laughs> um, it was Rick Springfield. Uh, but then he, we had this moment where I, I, I kind of, I saw the crossroads. I was like, I either turn this down or I commit to it, and I, I committed to it, and I feel yeah. like, I feel like it was the right choice. You know, if I think you like that, it, you like it. That's and also Rick Springfield's a great example. Now, what he does is not that different than what a lot of bands do today. What he did then, if you listen to like Love Is All Right mm-hmm. or uh, what's another good one? Um, I've Done Everything For You. Yep. I've Done Everything For You, first of all, could have been a Buzzcock song. I know yeah. this because we're learning all of his songs because we're doing gigs where we're going out with all of the people from the Sound City movie and doing shows. Like we're gonna do, we're doing an LA show, we're doing a New York show, we're doing a London show, we're doing a Berlin show, we're doing a Sydney show. We want to do South by Southwest with all of these musicians, and so you should go out there and look at the chart of songs we have to fucking learn. (laughs) It's insane. I have to learn fifty songs in the next ten days. But as we're learning these Rick Springfield songs, because it's gonna be Rick singing with the Foo Fighters as the backing band. 
We're doing his a bunch of his shit. We're doing five or six of his songs. And honestly, you know what it sounds like? The fucking Foo Fighters with Rick Springfield. That's singing. exactly what I was saying when <laughs> you were playing that song in the documentary. I just said that sounds like Rick Springfield with the Foo Fighters. It does. It's true. Like so, but when you look at what he does, you know that that sort of uh, guitar based rock uh, pop sensibility structure. Um, it's kind of you know it shouldn't be it shouldn't really be res- it shouldn't be placed in in just the eighties because it's not it's almost seventies it's yeah, almost sixties yeah. and it's and still to this day like there's so many bands that do the same thing the world could use another fucking Rick Springfield right now you I know just I, mean? I hope that it uh, I hope it gives them a nice resurgence I, I don't I'm probably just reading into this or projecting fears that I have but when I see him in interviews. It just feel it just feels like behind his eyes he's going fuck. I just want it back. Like you yeah. know, like he just fucking wants it. He he's got it. But dude. why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he want it all back? I mean, I remember ages ago someone saying like, "How long do you think you'll be doing this?" When the Foo Fighters first started, it was 1995, and I was 26, I think. Uh, I'm 44 now, and I remember then saying. Um, you know, I think I'll probably do it until I'm about 33. Because <laughs> I don't want to be one of those old guys on stage, you know? I don't want to be, like, running around. But you're the same fucking. age in your brain. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to I'm 33 and you're 11. Like, well, 33, I didn't realize it was this. This yeah. is not. This is nothing. This is I'm nothing. I'm 15. Yeah, what's uh, the problem? But, you know, I think that uh, someone like Rick or someone like Mick Jagger or someone like Paul or any of those people, you see that... You can. The reason why they do it now, I think, is the same reason why they did it then, which is just for the love of doing it. And, you know, a lot of people play music with no career aspiration. And that's entirely the best way to do it, I think. You know, when, of course, you're a kid and you have a kiss poster or you have a fucking, I don't know. Who? What kids have? Do kids have posters anymore? I don't <laughs> think they just have digitally projected. You know, you uh, have your heroes. Gifts. You have right. these people like, wow, Dead Mouse, or you have Paul Stanley, or whatever. Skrillex. It is. Skrillex. <laughs> um, General Public. What do the kids listen to? I stopped listening <laughs> yeah. to music in the eighties. So, um, so you have those those heroes, but in a way, it almost doesn't seem real. Like it almost seems impossible. At least it did to me when I was young. Like I never thought I could be a famous musician because they almost seemed untouchable, sure. or, like unreal. So, and especially playing like hardcore punk rock, there wasn't a lot of career opportunity in that. It was yeah. just like fuck. I gotta play, you know. I had yeah. friends, and we were writing these songs, and I would write songs about like my dog and my teacher and crap like that. And it was great. It was fun, but never in your wildest dreams did you imagine that you would be like famous or whatever sure um and coming from that place i think there's a real love of just playing and just writing and just playing with friends and so when you look at someone like paul it's a, he's a perfect example when he came in that day it was like fuck it let's just play whatever and let's just go for it you know, it's not like he wants to be any more famous than he already oh is. Oh my God! Though, when he, when he when <laughs> fucking jam. Oh, by the way, here's the bass I used on "Love Me Do." Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're on the couch and he jumps into your arms, I just there was that moment where like, but don't trap him! Don't trap him! It's Bob Bernie! I'm like, you're gonna break him! Like you just feel like you're gonna. No, he's fucking. But so you know, I think that um, I think that it's 
it's important for people to understand that too. Like, you know what? Have if you're recording shit at home, write an awesome song and then fucking delete it. How about that? I used to do that because I wanted to feel like proud of myself. <laughs> write a great song and just erase it, it immediately. Yeah. Get rid of it. Tell it. I don't even care. Burden. Stupid song. Control Z. Control Z. Apple Z. Apple Z. But the uh, do you feel like you have a lot of those moments left in your life where you because I feel like. You know, when you when you when Paul McCartney comes in and you as Dave Grohl are like, holy shit, you're like how many do you want do you keep how do you keep generating those moments of wonder and excitement and well, there's there's you can get that outside of music too, you know. But I mean, music. No, I think it's just work. <laughs> I think that um, I was I wrote an email the other day to Rob the bass player of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, mm-hmm. who's also in the movie. And one of my favorite bands. They're fucking awesome. Yeah. And he's such a good dude. And they're such a good band. And they're the perfect kind of band, I think, for me at least, that they can come in and we can start from scratch and wind up with a fucking killer song in four hours, you know? Like, then those are the best ones when they just happen. Um, that's how Nirvana was. Like we would start out just with a noise jam and it would sort of kind of turn into an arrangement and then you have like come as you are. And yeah. that was how it would happen in the rehearsal space. And, and, then, and then that was part of uh, when you came into Sound uh, Sound City, how prepared were you guys? We were so prepared, dude. It was, I mean, we we honestly, we rehearsed in a barn and we rehearsed six days a week for four hours a day because we had nothing else to do. Well, did you know the barn would be cleaner than Sound City? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go back to the barn. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say was that I was talking to Rob about this, and he said like uh, how honored he was and how um, how excited he was and flattered that they're in the movie and that their song is on the soundtrack. And... and um, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm actually the one that should be really honored because it doesn't matter at what level of fame you're at. When you meet another musician, I mean, when you meet a, another musician, it doesn't matter what level of fame they're at. Um, it's about how much your music has like affected you and how much it's touched you that makes you feel nervous or makes you get excited or gives you that roller coaster feeling when you meet Paul McCartney. Right. Um, it's because his music has has been such a huge part of my life that I get freaked out around him. Not as much anymore. I mean, it never wears off, but he's a good dude. He doesn't make you feel uncomfortable or nervous. You make yourself feel that way. <laughs> he's just a good dude, you know? But, um, you know, if I were to meet someone like, I don't know who's a good example, some, you know, like a, an enormously famous South American pop star uh, who I'd never heard before in my life, I'd just be like, hey, what's up, man? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> because what do I fucking care? You yeah. know, like they're just a, a right. person. But then if you meet someone that has that thing that's that you've connected to your entire life, it's like, oh my god, it's like meeting a ghost or meeting God or whatever what's, the what's fuck. What's your it's worst like, wow. ghost god? Do you have a bad? Do you have a I bad? Have plenty uh, of bad musician experiences. <laughs> There's so many assholes, like, dude. You have no idea. Not just well, not just that, but situations where you just clammed up and you just were like, oh, I, I and you came away uh, for sure. Absolutely. What were some good ones? Um, Bonnie Raitt. The first time I met Bonnie Raitt, I was just like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's plenty. Yeah. I mean, I'm just as much of a fucking dork as I was when I was 15, and and I feel that way when you meet when you when you meet someone really, you know, 
special. And that should never go away. I don't think yeah. it ever really does. If it does, then you're in deep shit, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I feel like I, I hope that it never goes away. There's some there's some comics now, like some of the all the older comics. They just a few of them just sort of look a little dead behind the eyes. I'm like, yeah. oh, I just don't want that. To, I still want to love comedy, and I still want to love meeting people and nerding out over things. Like, I don't want that to go away ever. Tell me if I'm wrong. I have this theory that sometimes when comedians just sort of die inside yeah, and they're not funny anymore, <laughs> yeah. is it that most comedians come from sort of a dark place and then they eventually bring like antidepressants into their life and they lose all the funny. I see what you I you know what? I, I don't even think that's just comedians and maybe it's on antidepressants, but I think the bigger issue, I think about this shit all the time, is when you're young you're, for any artistic endeavor, I think there's just a hunger. There's like a I fucking have to do it. Yeah. I just want to do it. You know, like no matter what anyone says, there's of course I think a level of I want to be noticed, I want attention, I want to do well, I want to be recognized for my work, I want to bring this into the world, I want to, you know, I want to make people laugh, I want to make people jump around, whatever. And then you, I think people do that a lot, and then they get a lot of money, they get comfortable, they're not challenged as much anymore, the work is as challenging anymore, they're, they don't want to take as many risks, they kind of get happy, and it's just like, I think the hunger just sort of dissipates, you're like, well... You know, maybe there's a chemical thing that happens as you get older. You just don't, you know, like, well, we don't we don't need to spread our DNA anymore at this age. So we just sure. don't really care about being noticed. Or, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe they yeah. just never had fun with it in the first place. And once they get to a place where they were just doing it out of anger and just like because they, they needed to. And then they are they succeed in that. And then they're just doing it and they don't they're getting the money and they're, it's not fun for them. But sometimes, maybe that's why but sometimes kinda... when people get older, they just run out of stuff to say. And I think that's like I think that's the essential element. Like when you see a musician playing, you know, forty years after they were popular, thirty years after they were popular, you go, yeah, technically it's really good. But the stuff they're writing now, there just isn't. There's just right. they're just not saying anything that really. They just don't have anything to say anymore. Yeah. Really, that's that they care that much about. Yeah, it's true. So maybe it's I mean, the same for both. I'm guessing. Well, I think that you have to like sort of let your career or your music follow your life you know not to try to stay in that place where you were 20 years ago but yeah sort of make sure that in a real honest way that it mirrors your life now and that it follows you like if i look back at all of our records the food fighters records it's like watching a kid grow up you know the first record is like a babbling fucking baby that shits the bed every day yeah, i know? enjoyed that baby thank you and uh <laughs> you know and then it's and then there's the album that sounds like puberty and then there's the album that sounds like uh independence and then the one that sounds like a, a conflicted adult maybe then, there's a maybe there's a point where sometimes you just get to where people just get too sophisticated you know like when you when you become so good and when you're young you're just playing and you just want stuff to sound cool but then you go older you're like Oh, I could tweak this a little bit, and this needs to be this, and this needs to be like yeah. maybe, maybe it's just overly engineered as you get older. I don't know. You know, one of the, if you listen to the new Neil Young record, which is insane, because some of the songs are twenty four minutes long or whatever. But <laughs> when you listen to it, it's awesome. When you listen to it, it's so uh, it's so simple. It's the opposite of that. It's it's going back to a place where he's kind of like trying to simplify or go rather than like his his refined songs you know which were um still pretty rough around the edges because that's the way he always was but 
he's he's going back to before that to like these long jams that that um that you appreciate for their um for their for their simple quality and it's awesome and i think that like when bands get back together to make records after they've been away for a really long time there's the danger of trying to recapture what they've done before Mm -hmm. or there's the danger of them doing something that might not be recognizable as that band and there's so it's tricky you know you have to navigate through all that shit but ultimately what i think what you do is you just make music that you really feel for something that feels real you know if we were to come out and one of the reasons why the foo fighters is still around is because we didn't really follow any of those little trends that have happened in the last 20 years you know we didn't go new metal when it was huge (laughs) and we didn't like do the new york skinny tie thing when it was huge And at those times, we weren't huge because that shit was. But we lived comfortably in our little world, just doing what we did. And um, and uh, I think that that's why we've survived. Had we done any of that shit, it would have seemed contrived, and it wouldn't really have been like us. And I think it's the same way. As you grow, as you get older, you just keep doing what you feel natural doing. I, well, I worked at K-Rock in, from 95 to 97, I think, or 98. And I remember the first time I ever heard of the Foo Fighters, there was a poster for a show, and it said, like, Mike Watt and Foo Fighters. And I think it was, like, 95 or 96. Yeah. And I'm like, what are the what the fuck are the Foo Fighters? Someone's like, no, it's the dude from, the drummer from Nirvana. I'm like... Like Phil Collins, like like I couldn't, you know, there was that moment. Where like, wait, he's coming out from behind the, yeah. you know, like what did that feel? Like, was it was that just a, is that something that you always want to do, or just went, well, fuck, I guess, you know, why not try this? Well, he, I started playing guitar first when I was maybe like eleven years old, and uh, I took maybe two or three lessons from this guy at the strip mall down the street, <laughs> and then. But I wasn't learning what I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how to play Beatles songs because I loved the Beatles. And so I had their two greatest hits records, the red one and the blue one. (laughs) And my mom bought me uh, this book that was a complete Beatles anthology, but the chord charts. So I would listen to the songs and I'd play along with the chords. And um, I play along with the records. And that's kind of how I learned how to play. And eventually I started listening to punk rock and Rush and you know, metal and crap like that. And I was in a, I joined a punk rock band and at where I played guitar and the drummer sucked shit. He was fucking terrible. And I just sort of had this natural inclination to do it. I understood how to play the drums. I knew how to play the drums. Like I just knew that this sound is the hi-hat, that sound is the kick and that sound is the snare. And I'd listen to a song and I could make my arms do what I heard on the radio. So I finally just said like, Dave, let me, his name is Dave. Dave, give me the fucking. And he started playing bass and I started playing drums. And then I started practicing, but I didn't have a drum set. So I put pillows. <laughs> Dave, can I use your drum set? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Ah. I did, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, so I would sit down on the floor and put a pillow right there, and this would be my tom, and that would be my tom, and there's a chair <laughs> That's there. That's exactly that what would, I did. Did you? Yeah, the pillows works. and uh, cardboard boxes. Yeah. yeah, and that was my hi-hat, and I would put on a record and play along to it, and that's how I learned how to play. And so I never took any lessons. It was just that. And um, so because I understood how to play guitar and I understood how to play the drums, I would record things by myself. Like when I was fucking... 12 or something 
I figured out how to multi-track with two cassette decks. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I would play guitar recording on this one cassette, and then I would take that cassette and put it in the home stereo, put another cassette in this recorder, hit record on that, hit play on that, <laughs> and I would along sing along to the guitar as it was coming through. Then I'd take that tape, which now had vocals and guitar, put that in the thing, and then I'd play <laughs> drums along to it, and I'd have a song. And I would write songs about my dog and about my fucking teachers or whatever. And um, so then once I got a little older and I had friends who had like a four-track studio or an eight-track studio, I would they'd ask me, hey, will you come play drums on my stuff? And I'd do it for weed. But I would also <laughs> do it for tape where I'd say, yeah, I'll do it if you can give me like three minutes of tape. And I would record an instrumental just by myself. So I'd put the drums down first, and then I'd put the bass and guitar over it, and I'd take it home, and I'd play it for my best friend and say, listen to this new band. And he'd be like, wow, that's cool. Who's that? And I'd say, that's me, dude. <laughs> that's I'm playing everything. That's He's like, how'd you do that? I'm like, well, you do the drums. Yeah, comedians first. can't do that as well. Listen to this amazing new comedy. <laughs> that sounds like you. And ah, you got me. Stare into the Wham. eyes. Damn it. So, but that was what the – so for years I did that by myself just for fun, just to um, – as I was in Nirvana – I had a studio in my basement and I recorded all of those songs by myself, the Foo Fighters songs, and would play them for maybe like my sister or my friend Jimmy, but not everyone. Maybe Kurt, I played him a couple songs. Um, but then after Nirvana was over, uh, fucking what else was I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to go down the street to the studio, a 24 track. And book six days, Whoa. which to me was like an eternity in the studio. <laughs> so I booked the six days and I recorded that stuff by myself. And I made uh, copies for all of my friends. And this record company dude got it and was like, hey, I want to put it out. I'm like, okay. It wasn't a band or anything. It was just, I called it Foo Fighters so people would think it was a group of people because it was plural. <laughs> 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 and so, so I thought like, yeah, if you were not to tell anyone that this was the dude from Nirvana, would people still like the music? Yeah. Um, Which is really interesting because I think a lot of, there, there is the other side of the mentality where someone's like, I have to use my Nirvana cred to try to get, and then you're trying yeah. to do the opposite of going, no, no, I want people to think it's different so they don't come in with right. preconceived notions. Right, I mean, the notions. last thing you want to do is the, have the foundation of everything you're working hard for be something else. You know? Right. So to me, it was like, plus, I mean, with Nirvana, it was just a tragic ending, and Kurt died, and it was like... At that time, I didn't really want to think about Nirvana. It was heartbreaking. We were fucked up by what happened. Yeah. So it's like, I just got to keep playing music. I got to keep playing music. And so then I thought like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll start a fucking band. That'd be weird. And there was a band, Sunny Day Real Estate from Seattle. Great band. Who, they were a great band that were about to break up. And my friend Tracy told me, you got to go see them play. It's like their last show, but nobody knows that. And I saw... It's like getting a stock tip. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> so I saw Nate, our bass player now, and William, our original drummer, playing. They're fucking great. And after the show, I said, hey, here's a cassette of this stuff I recorded, and let's jam. And we did, and it was so fun. And I didn't know how to stand with a guitar sure. or sing. Or, it was so awkward. It was fucking so weird that it was perfect. Because the last thing I wanted to do was be a drummer at that time you know i didn't want to be i didn't want to play an instrument that would remind me of my friend who died or i didn't right. want to fucking you know just be a drummer for the rest of my life because i knew like well i can also try to do other things wow that's really interesting i never even 
that's that's a sort of a, a part of the emotional evolution of what you did that never occurred to me before. Like that you're still within music, but doing completely different things to not be reminded of what happened sure. because you're still kind of dealing with that. Yeah. Well, tragedy. I mean, it was you know, Kurt died in April of '94, and the first time I jammed with Will and Nate was like December of that year. And f- all of those months in between, it was just like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like, is my life over too? This is crazy. And, um, but, you know, music is so powerful that it, honestly, it, it can help you heal. That was the hard part. It was that music was what was breaking my heart, but at the same time, it's what could make me feel better. And so, to me, it was all about not living in what had happened, but looking forward to what's next. Was that hard when you when Foo Fighters started breaking out, but then people just wanted to talk about Nirvana? Absolutely. And you're like, well, it wasn't hard, just... but it was. I mean, emotionally totally hard, expected. though. Kind of, yeah. The first year, because you'd get like this rogue journalist that would ask you, like, "Hey, what did you feel like when you found out Kurt died?" It's like, I should punch you in the fucking teeth <laughs> right now. You know, that's so rude. You would never ask, right. Just anybody that. Wow, your mom just died. Wow, how'd that make you feel? That's like weird. Is that kind of a fucking, bummer? That's probably a bummer. Yeah, like you, know, you just want to fucking throttle them. You know? Yeah. But um, so there were times and <laughs> the unanswerable and were, questions. Well, they, yeah, they, but there were great ones too. Like, well, why'd you s- start a band that sounds like Nirvana? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, because that's how I play music. I was in a fucking band. That's how I play music. What do you want me to start they're a reggae band? Of, what the they're, fuck? They're accusing you of of, of being yourself. me. Yeah. It was so I was kind of like, okay. Um, but then after a while, I think that's where this whole little bubble began. Like, you know what? Let's just do our own fucking thing. Yeah. And fuck everybody else. Let's that's just usually where the best stuff comes it. from, where, where yeah. it's just where you just kind of do it for you. But I, 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 re- I remember seeing interviews or you know reading stuff like, first of all, that that era of Nirvana, like that Nirvana era of music, was kind of the I feel like the last great era of like <laughs> of the music business before it started to slide a little bit with, yeah. the, with all the digital stuff kind of right. to parallel what you know what the where, where the documentary goes with digital everything and people doing stuff at home and pro right. tools and, and whatnot but um uh well you know see the thing is i mean I, it's it's easy to feel that way and i feel that way sometimes too of course but there's hope you know because i think we're at a place right now where we were just before then. Remember Star Search? Of course. Remember all the shitty fucking balladeers that were making that faceless bullshit? Two and three quarter stars. Pop. Sam Harris. Right. So we're in the same place, man. Music was so like overproduced and so glamorized. I just meant the music and, business. But I, the, I agree well, with well, what the you're business saying. too. Well, here's the, well. This is another parallel. Is that you know when 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 we were in those punk rock bands and we were playing. Uh, the music that wasn't commercial or whatever back then, um, we were sort of restricted to these independent channels, right? So we made music the way we like to make music because who the fuck was, we couldn't, we couldn't get the world to hear it because the, there was no big label that was going to sign us and sure. put it around the world. So we were left to our own devices and making real cool fucking music. Well, nowadays it's kind of almost the same. Who wants to sign to a fucking major label? Yeah. Who want, who needs it? You don't. You have all of those obstacles that we had back then. You can fucking you can race past those now. One YouTube video. I <laughs> swear to fucking God. Look at Justin Bieber. <laughs> right. you know, I mean, yeah. it's like <laughs> one <laughs> ring to rule them yeah. all. But you know, I, I hope like, me and Selena work it out. Are you guys? Are we all on board I, here? Fingers crossed. Like, like you know what? 
One love. I Seriously. Yeah. So, uh, but um, you know, that's that's the thing is that it can still happen. It's 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 almost like I look at what's accepted as mainstream popular music now and to i'm not satisfied i mean who the fuck am i to say anyway but if i were a 12 year old kid who the fuck what am i going to relate to that guy that just won the fucking star search competition am i going to relate to the fucking dude that wears too much makeup on tv or i think they do to the fucking well you'd hope so because you want kids to have faith in music but ultimately what happens is you get this dissatisfaction because it's like oh like my dad beats the fuck out of me and people make fun of me at school and fuck all that shit man i want someone like me making music for fucking me and that's eventually what happens when you when when everyone is left to their own devices i think you know and so and as long as you let them know that that opportunity is real that you can do it. Even if no one fucking hears it, go do it anyway. But, like, it can still happen. There's still hope. There will be fucking angry teenagers until the end of time. Yeah, you can't. They just, they're just programmed to be angry. And you can't relate to them. And even when you're a teenager and you're like, well, I'm older. I'm totally going to know how to talk to teenagers. And then you talk to them and their eyes glaze over. And you're like, you are, ju- you are biologically programmed to hate everything I'm saying right now. Right. And there's no way in. But, but, I mean, also, like, you know, when I, when I get really passionate about this kind of shit, it's because, you know, I remember how great it was to feel that way back then. Well, I'm an old guy now, you know? I'm like, I'm the guy that they should be fucking pissed off at. Not yet. You're not old yet. I'm just saying. So, I mean, but <laughs> we're not that far apart, Dave. <laughs> yeah. You're not old yet, Dave. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that, man. Shut up, David! Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, no, you but know, when you're, when you're I think in, there's yeah. hope. I don't think that's the last generation of great rock and roll music. Right. No. It's fucking, there's but more. But there is no Kids more. always find it. They'll always find a scene. They'll always find a way to do it. It's yeah. just, you know, it's just not always like laid fucking out for rats, there was a, there was a, yeah. um, But from that, from that period, I feel like there were a couple of the guys, you know, between Kurt and, like, Eddie Vedder and a few of the guys who, like, after they became popular, it was sort of like, I don't like this anymore. I don't like this anymore. What was right. that? That was the punk rock guilt. Oh, no yeah. question. Punk rock guilt. Okay, punk got rock it. guilt. Yeah. Y- y- ask someone like Lemmy. His generation is entirely different. Like, what the fuck does Lemmy care about punk rock shit? He's the real deal. He just walks it like he talks it. If you told Lemmy, like, "Hey, man, uh, your album just sold thirty million copies," you think he'd be fucking bummed out? <laughs> no, <laughs> he would be the happiest man on earth. Yeah, there was something. I think there was some residual weirdness yeah. uh, and guilt that came from that. You have to like give up your indie cred. Position. Well, I wonder. Yeah, there's there's a difference. Like some people who come from like. You know, a working class background and then an art class background. Sure. I think those Perhaps. are two, like the working class background is like, of course you want to fucking make money. What are we doing? Right. And the art, the arty class people are like, this is wrong, you guys. You know, like, even why? In, even well, on, you that, on that last Tenacious D record, like you know, Jack has that line where like he's just like, uh, like uh, in the Ballad of uh, Jack in the Rage Cage or yeah. whatever. It's like he talks about how like I he gave up his indie credibility, and, <laughs> yeah. like, kind of tore him <laughs> apart. I mean, you know, there's great things about. I think both sides of that argument. And it's also, it's not like a two-sided coin. It's like a fucking, one of those weird dragon's dice that has 12 (laughs) sides to it. But, um, it, you know, I, I just think that you should, you should feel free to be free as a musician. You know, when Nirvana signed to a major label, I don't think there was a lot of worry that we were like signing up with this big, heavy corporation. You know, because we came from this punk rock scene, we were making good music and we wanted everyone to hear it. We wanted it to be we wanted people to be able to get it rather than just be confined to this one thing. We were like, fuck it. You know, we didn't change what we do. 
we changed the way it was like delivered to the people, but it never changed the music. Yeah. And that was the most important thing to us, you know? Um, but you know, there's an argument there about integrity and, and that whole guilt with the punk rock thing. Yeah. But honestly, one of the proudest, most happiest moments in my life was going back to Washington DC. I don't know, a couple of years ago, the nine 30 club had their 30th anniversary. It was a big deal. Like Rollins, who was from DC mm-hmm. was, um, emceeing, uh, Ian Mackay and his band, the evens played all of our old friends from DC were there. And you can imagine like that. I would feel sort of nervous or conflicted about like hanging out with all of these people who were heroes of mine because of that integrity and that sort of punk rock ethic, you know, that do it yourself thing. They would never do a lot of the things that I've done. And I came back home and, uh, and they were like proud of me. I was like, how fucking cool that the people you would imagine to be the most, uh, the, to be the most um, elitist or judging of of that sort of thing are the ones that are doing it for real, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, man, good on you." And you because you, you wrote that whole story in your head about them. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I mean, that to me was like, oh god, I was I felt so validated. I'm like, oh. Phew. I mean, they, they might still think I'm a douche, but at least they're <laughs> proud of me. As long as you can, you, can, you can still take the credit for it. You can still take the good the good but points. That's the for thing. It. I mean, honestly, like. Yeah, it's it's too easy to be cynical. That's the easy way out. It's just too easy you in all like areas of. I your know life. this is an impossible question to answer, and I apologize if it's out of bounds. But do you think Kurt would have gotten over that stuff? If that's impossible to answer, yeah, I know who knows. You know, I mean, again, like I think as you get older, you get more. You're it's like, so, oh, it's not dude, that it's big. So it's so fucking fun. great to be pissed when you're young. Yeah. It's the fucking best, man. You just want to fuck shit up. Fuck you. I remember taking acid and like yelling at old people like fuck <laughs> you <laughs> what did i do <laughs> whatever rich. yeah and i mean you know as you get older i think you just sort of start to realize uh oh yeah uh, um michael bolton's not that bad you know or whatever <laughs> what you, do know? you ever do to you me? sort of loosen the reins a little bit <laughs> well especially now like you know, you have kids, and you you know, sure. like you you have you have that board. Like everything's nice. It's kind of nice. Gonna fucking teach my kid that it's not cool to listen to fucking whatever. Actually, that was a huge that was a huge moment of being a parent. Was there was one day? First of all, my mother, who who was a brilliant woman, is a brilliant woman, never told me to not listen to any kind of music. I listened to fucking Satan worshiping. Kill the fucking president music for years. And my brilliant English teacher mother never told me, you're not allowed to listen to Corpse Grinder or whatever. (laughs) And so she's never put any of those restrictions on me. Thank God. Um, There was one day when my daughter Violet was maybe like a year and a half or maybe two. And the Amy Winehouse record was really big. It's a great record. It's such a brilliant record. She's a fucking amazing record and the song rehab was a huge hit well my two-year-old would sing the rehab song which <laughs> there's nothing funnier than a two-year-old that he just knows the word rehab you know because she's gonna know it eventually <laughs> and so uh so she would sing she called it the no no song no 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 she's like, i want to hear no no i want to hear no no so then one day and she was also fully like she had mastered an iphone by like sure seven months or whatever so i come home from being on the road and she's in the back seat and she's got my wife's iPhone. And all of a sudden I hear this like, 
like this gangster rap shit with like gunshots in it and stuff like that. And and I look at my wife like, the fuck is she listening to right now? She goes, oh, I made a mistake and I downloaded this song. I was wanted to download the video for Rehab, but I downloaded this rapper named Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Fortunately, there were like it was the song. I don't even remember what it was called. It was sorry, Rehab. It was just bad music. <laughs> it was like not even good rap. Rehab, and the dude fine. singing the chorus this. didn't really have a great voice. Rehab, all respect, just wasn't very it good. It just wasn't a great <laughs> song. Who am I to say? But it was a piece of shit. So, so, so I fucking, I, I turn around, sorry Rehab, I turn around to my daughter, who's two, and I go, hey boo, what are you listening to? She goes, it's my new song. And I go, oh yeah? She goes, yeah. And I go, that's not really a good song. She goes, well, I like it. And I said, well, I don't. And she goes, well, I do. And she listened to it like eight times oh. in a row. And I realized at that moment, like, I'm a parent. Yeah. <laughs> you just made the next creation. I just had that moment with my child, and I will never have it again. So, you know, I try to get her to listen to She got the Beatles box set. She loves the fucking Beatles stuff. I got her a Wings record the other day. I got her an Elvis record. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get her into, like, you know, music. Yeah. Cut to yeah. 20 yeah. years from yeah. now when you're giving your daughter away to rehab, <laughs> who's like, I got your back, Dave. Girl. I had this conversation with someone the other day who was like, man, you know what I fucking hate? I fucking hate it when you go to a show and you see a kid who likes the same fucking music as their dad, man. That's not fucking cool. You're not supposed to like the fucking music your dad fucking likes. I, you know, it's, it's important for them to not like the music that their parents like. I'm like, okay, so wait, are you saying that it's better for your kid to listen to, oh, I don't want to fucking diss anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say it's Rehab again, the Beatles. already yeah. opened the floodgates. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Well, uh, I think we've spent just about an hour with you, and you probably- I talk too much. No, no, you don't. Oh. I would talk to you for three more hours, but I always feel guilty when people come on, because I don't, I don't, just from having done a million and a half interviews, sometimes I worry, like- I don't want people to start getting stressed. Like I gotta go, but he won't let me go. Right. You know, so I don't want to keep you if you have to. If the you, only if thing is, is I have to learn fifty fifty songs <laughs> today. <laughs> it's awesome what we're, what we've been doing and what we're doing. What are you now. gonna well, just real quick? What are you gonna learn today? Well, we we've learned most of the Rick Springfield stuff. Love is all right. Jesse's girl. Mm-hmm. I've done everything for you. Love somebody. And oh, I fucking love that song. It's so good. And the song from the Sound City soundtrack movie with Rick, which is called uh which is called The Man That Never Was. Right. So it's pretty it's a pretty radical set list. And I mean honestly, we could learn ten more. It's pretty rad. But we we're trying to learn a bunch of songs for each person. Yeah. And uh and it's amazing, like, you know, we're learning like Stevie Nicks songs. That's great. And so for us to to play something like Fleetwood Mac is Dreams one of, or it's just Gold one of my all time favorite like, bands. The collection of the, those people and that period of time when album art really met like just those the covers of them where oh, he's like in the fucking fencing pants. Oh, you know, yeah. like the, the oh my god, and the tights, Rivers. the tights, just all of it. And and he, I I get stressed out hearing. Lindsey Buckingham talk about those days because in the because what I'm thinking he can, I don't know how he cannot go. 
And then that's right before Mick Fleet would fuck my girlfriend. Like, it's so hard not to, like, when he talks about, I don't know, I, I, I get, there's like a whole 90210 thing Can you with imagine? that fucking, George with that, with that band, you know, which made for some pretty incredible records. Yeah. Like, if you listen to the record, the first record with Lindsay and Stevie that was recorded on this board, if you listen to that record, there are so many different personalities on that. Christy McVie and yeah. John McVie and Mick Fleetwood and Lindsay and Stevie, like, you know, they each kind of have their place on that record, which is crazy. It's not often that you get a band that's made of so many brilliant people. And know? named after the two people who do not sing in the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. There you go. Yeah. But, uh, well, thanks, man. So, sound, hey. when does Sound City come out? Sound City, uh, the movie is coming out February 1st. Okay. That's when it's available um, to get. It is genuinely a fucking awesome movie, and I'm I, and I like really it. hope yeah. people watch it's it. It's weird, man. Yeah. I've seen it so many times, I don't even know. It's hard to be objective. No, you it's, know? Really, it's, it's really, really No, but you get it right away. You're like, oh, I got it. You're following the board. Like, this is a legendary board. And just yeah. hearing, you know, but like I said, you could do a whole documentary on any one of the bands that you talk to, but just, it's not only a walkthrough sound city and the board and you know what like joe and keith and those guys did but also just like it's a it is a it is a trip through music yeah, yeah. uh and it's uh it was fuck it was fucking like the movie flew by for me so oh, good. i okay. really yeah. i really hope people well you know that's the it. thing is that almost every studio in the world could have a movie like sound city and if everybody appreciated uh those places um, I think the way that they deserve to be appreciated, like fucking churches or museums, yeah. um, there'd be like, I think a deeper understanding or appreciation for music because music can seem sort of transparent sometimes. It's a sound that comes through your car. It's a sound in an elevator. Or it's a fucking thing you see on TV. But at the end of the day, it really is people yeah. playing with other people. And that's what inspires other people to do it. You know, yeah. and you know what inspires a 12-year-old kid to pick up a guitar and play is seeing another 12-year-old kid do it. So if you show a human being that it's actually human beings making music, well, then maybe it'll inspire them to fall in love And with I think it. that's the sort of underlying thing that I took away. And I think what the board represents is is like humanity like it's yeah. the humanity and the imperfection and the like just the being in the moment of it all yeah. and uh and so i hope people is it coming out in theaters or people buying we're doing a little theater release i think and okay. then um you can go to the, our sound city movie site and it's the itunes thing and you know VOT. i'm not a businessman i just fucking play music <laughs> yeah. all right dave girl thank you so much all for right. being here in your own studio. shout out thank to you. rehab Thanks for rehab. To, sorry rehab sorry i'll send you a hat or a shirt or something <laughs> Let's get a let's get a fruit basket to <laughs> rehab ASAP. Rehab's hit song "Fuck You in the Face," Dave Grohl is sweeping the nation. Oh, no. Rehab. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.